Welcome to Wealth Stories, a brand new podcast brought to you by London Capital, offering straight talk and clear thinking around stories of wealth. Every episode, Robert Paul is joined by an expert from London Capital and a special guest to share their experiences and insights around topics ranging from divorce to the psychological effects of coming into wealth. So welcome to this episode of London and Capital's Wealth Stories, which is all about wealth management and women. I am delighted to be joined on this episode by Jessica Crane and Kirsten Burt. Welcome. Hi, Rob. Hi, Rob. Great. Um, so for our listeners, perhaps each of you could give just you know one minute on, on yourselves and your businesses just to, to frame where you're coming at this discussion from. And we'll start maybe with Jess. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Okay, well, it's great to be here today. I am, I work with Rob. I'm an executive director in our private wealth division at London and Capital. And I've been at the firm for 15 years. And talking about wealth management and women is, is a topic that is really aired a lot at the moment. But there seems to be a lot of sort of fluff. And I'm often a little unsatisfied with, with what, what I hear. So I was really keen to, to do this podcast to make it perhaps a bit more fact based and a bit more in depth. And particularly delighted that Kirsten agreed to come on as our guest. Because Kirsten, well, you can you can tell us uh, what you do, but you're a hugely successful marketer and you know the wealth management industry inside out. Thanks so much, Jess. Yeah, I'm very excited to be invited on today by a firm as auspicious as London Capital. So yeah, my background is I've been in wealth management almost 20 years across various firms as a head of marketing, most recently head of marketing at UBS for six and a half years. And starting probably earlier than some other firms, we were looking at this as a topic from about 2013 and did a whole program around it and gained a lot of business from it on real commercial drivers. Since I left UBS, I've worked as a consultant. I've worked with lots of different firms on this topic, mainly, as you say, to make it less fluffy and more about serving women better to meet commercial needs and the needs of the future. So yeah, I um, I really like that I get to do what I do now. And um, yeah, happy to tell you what I've learned over several years and several firms and lots of women of talking about this. Great. Well, thank you very much. And, and great to have you both on, on the discussion. So Jessica, you sort of touched on it a minute ago, but let, let's just frame the whole premise of what we're going to try and talk about. Uh, why was it we specifically wanted to talk about this and any specific topics you want to cover and, and why this topic you think is such a a fluffy term at the moment, using your words. Well, there's there's a lot of talk, as we've said. There's a lot of talk in the industry about women and how they fit in with wealth management. I think there are various reasons why it's so timely, not least the fact that the sort of female representation in all industries has been sort of brought to the fore more recently through initiatives like Me Too and um, Everyone's Invited, and that's it's sort of the what's what's been spoken about on a sort of sociological level but also because there's what's what's known as this great wealth transfer so essentially baby boomers who made their money in the previous decades which a lot of them were men there's this big transfer of the wealth that they've developed over the last 50 years or so to the people that will be inheriting from them and to an extent that will be what people know as sort of next gen so the the next generation but before it goes to the next gen inevitably there'll be a large transfer of wealth from men to women. As women tend to live longer than men, 
they tend to outlive their husbands. And from a sort of demographic perspective, they will be the next receivers of wealth. And I think a lot of wealth management firms are coming to the realization that the way that they've run in the past and the way that they're set up isn't necessarily the best for women. It's been set up by men for men, and perhaps they need to have a good hard look at themselves and think about, you know, what the future looks like. And that sort of brings up a question, actually, as you were talking, I was just thinking about. And when you talk about this, you're, you're talking, I suppose, from both sides of the coin, not just the, the, the client, you know, the, 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 the lady inheriting the wealth, but also the industry itself and, and the representation from that side. Yeah, I think both. But I think they're kind of intertwined. So women perhaps need to be more aware of what they want and what they what they need perhaps and perhaps empowered in that regard but the wealth management industry as well needs to reflect what women's objectives are and the best way to serve them and Kirsten I suppose from, from your perspective you know you you were a very successful woman in the wealth management industry so you can see it from one side but I suppose on the marketing side you've also had to try and engage the end client uh, also so I, I, I no doubt you have a literary of facts and figures you can explain to us to help put some some detail on what you know, the valid points that Jess was just talking about. Yeah. And and the numbers really are, I think, what has driven this conversation to the fore. So, you know, in just the next few years, 60% of the UK's wealth will be in the hands of women. 40% of global wealth is already in the hands of women, but only one in 10 seeks financial advice. And women aren't typically happy with some of the advisors they inherit from their husbands. So in a UK, US, Canadian study, 80% of women will change their advisor after their husband dies or after a divorce. And yet if they find an advisor they like, they'll make huge referrals to all their friends. So there's some statistics that women will refer an average of 26 other women to an advisor that they find and that they like. So... It's something that if firms get right, they can get really right. And I think it comes with the backdrop, especially in the UK, of the advice gap, COVID, of course, women being really empowered to do a lot of online learning and being empowered through all of their other consumer journeys. Like if you look at how it is to buy a car, you know, 80% of cars are bought by women now. And and I think that started to be reflective in in the experience you have walking into a car dealership. So we're just one of those industries that needs to digest what the world looks like now and just better serve our customers. So yeah, that's kind of how I come at it as a topic. So question to both of you, I suppose, what would you say is sort of the the main challenges that that women face and, and why it is the current model perhaps it doesn't necessarily work for them? I think that... Um you can't, women have different, different, um, life challenges, I suppose, than men as, as a whole. And obviously we're talking generalizations here, but women typically take career breaks, whether that's to look after children. Um, women often have more, um, more responsibilities in terms of looking after elderly relatives, for example, towards, you know, different stages in their lives. So their, their earnings trajectory is perhaps different. The gender pay gap, the gender pension gap, these are both documented uh, differences between men and women. I know Parliament published a research briefing this year, and there were different figures sort of banded around depending on what exactly you were looking at. But essentially, there seems to be about a 35% gap between the gender's pensions. So for a man who's retiring his pension, the average man's pension is 35% larger, or the income he's taking is 35% bigger than the average woman's pension. And women live longer as well, as we've already sort of touched upon. 
Um, Kirsten, I know you have some other facts about some of the differences between women and men and the way that the industry doesn't necessarily service women that's been sort of set up differently. Yeah, I mean, I think, as you say, pensions typically form the backbone of most people's retirement plans and and the way the whole UK pension system is set up with very complex annual allowances and things like that just doesn't typically work for women. So they sort of start at a disadvantage there. And then when you go into wealth management firms that also sort of are set up around investments, there tends to be a lot of language and jargon around not just pensions, which of course are full of jargon, and then investments, which also are full of sort of complex terms. And the history of where the UK industry was, you had a lot of stockbrokers that talked a lot about stocks and shares and buying and selling. And that wasn't typically the way women saw wealth. Where they tend to engage is when you have a more holistic planning discussion and say, well, what's the wealth for? Is it for your retirement? Is it for your children? Is it for a second home? They engage with it at a really kind of goals-based level, which I think a lot of financial planners in the UK are really good at. But some either traditional wealth managers or sophisticated investment shops just aren't used to talking in a, a goal-based conversation. Yeah, I completely agree. There, seem, there needs to be more of a focus perhaps on, on objectives. And to an extent, I suppose, when you go to a wealth manager, you should be assuming that the they have a sound investment strategy and they have good investment skills. And firms need to focus lots more on perhaps relationships and building trust. And when clients, when women believe that they, they found someone that has integrity and they get on with and that they'll act in their best interests, that's, that's what they're really looking for. So, so it sounds, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds to me it's, it's as much the human side of it that is the challenge. Uh, and perhaps the, the more transactional nature of the industry historically, using your example, Kirsten, as a stockbroker, you know, I'll, I'll give my client a call and explain the next whiz bang opportunity and they'll like it or not like it using lots of jargon uh, versus relationship, regular catch up, you know, broader, broader plan around how that integrates with life. That seems to be sort of one of the big solutions that we're talking about here. Yeah. And I think it's also about how advisors work with couples. So if you look at the instances of when most people start to engage with a wealth manager, they're in their 40s, their pensions are accumulating, maybe they're going to sell a business, they start to have um, a relationship with somebody. Unfortunately, in the UK, because of recent rules, it's really hard to have a relationship with a wealth manager before you have kind of liquid assets to invest, which is a whole other issue I'm sure we could talk about. Don't get me started on that, Kirsten. That's a whole, <laughs> we get into the regulator and then you know, I, go, I, yeah. I go off on one. Yeah, when they start to engage you know, as a couple, a really good wealth manager should set some really clear expectations and rules around how you work together as a couple. So you might have a joint account, you might have a joint plan for your retirement assets, but how are you going to keep both sides of the couple informed? Because what's traditionally happened is a wealth manager's had a conversation with a man every year for the annual review, or, or maybe it's, you know, the half of the couple that's more financially astute. And the other half of the couple just isn't as involved, or they've sort of divided and conquered within their household who's doing what. So they're just not as involved in those annual discussions around where they're headed financially. And I think a good wealth manager 
today, because of all those demographic factors we just talked about, needs to work a lot harder on how to engage with couples and make sure that both half of the couples are fully engaged. And of course, it works through all sorts of scenarios as, you know, life has evolved in the UK. You've got non-traditional couples, you've got unmarried couples, you've got gay couples. So a good wealth manager should have really robust training for their advisors on how to advise couples um, throughout all these different setups and help them both feel empowered and engaged. And, and how much of the emphasis is on the, the the businesses to build teams to reflect those requirements? Um, and how much in terms of how they structure versus, you know, trying to help empower the, 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 the ultimate clients to communicate this with, with the firm, in your opinion? It's, it's both important, I think. But I think that you need to... As an industry, you need to reflect your diverse client base. And if you can't do that, then people perhaps that aren't reflected within the roster of the teams, for example, might feel that they are less important or they don't matter. So I think it's really important that firms do that. But also, yeah, it's an educational and a communication piece as well. I mean, we can only, we can only control what we can do and that we can put out, we can communicate as best we can. We can think about how our different clients might receive what we are communicating and what we're saying. But I think there's a lot of work for, for the industry to do. Yes. Would you say, um, a question to either of you, I suppose, that, um, fundamentally when it comes to the investment side, female clients are different. Are they more risk averse? Or do they have more defined ideas about you know, uh, maybe ESG, maybe, um, you know, impact or any other topic? That's a really interesting question. I know, Kirsten, you've got a lot of experience on the ESG front. On the risk averse side, I don't think, I mean, there are lots of studies about, you know, whether women are less risk averse than men. I think that the difference is perhaps that women are less confident generally and perhaps less articulate about their investment experience. Advisors thinking that women are less risk or more risk of us, sorry, than men actually is sort of essentially benevolent sexism at play. And that can be female advisors or male advisors giving that advice. And it can end up with women actually being poorer at the end. Because for example, if you're looking at an, a pension pot and somebody has got 30 years of investment time horizon, and the advisor thinks that because she is less experienced, that she should have a, a less aggressive portfolio or a more conservative portfolio, she could end up retiring in 30 years time with far less of an investment return than somebody who'd been, you know, had a more aggressive portfolio to start with. So there's almost pretty, you know, that the industry has preordained ideas about how women feel about investments. And that then ultimately has a, has a self-perpetuating problem. Is it what you're saying? Yeah. There's all sorts of studies around how when women go into an area they don't quite understand, which is often, which finance is one of them, but you could sort of use any example I don't know if using cars again, an example, like going into a mechanic shop, they'll tend to take a step back, really want to understand it and really make considered decisions. And there's all sorts of studies that men will go in with sort of almost a false confidence that they can figure this out and, and they get it. So it's not risk adverse. It's usually a little bit of an education gap. And really good wealth managers will provide their female clients or any client that's less confident in the space really good either online education or spend some time with them to explain terminology and give them education. Because once women have a robust understanding of the financial landscape and the decisions they're being asked to make, they're not any less risk adverse. It usually comes from this 
safety and security footing that they just want to understand it before they make a decision. So I always encourage my clients to invest in education. There's lots of different tools online now that you can give your clients free access to so they can, women are very time for, they can go and do some learning on the weekends so they can understand what all of the sort of alphabet soup of terminology we talk in means. So education is huge and digital makes that all a lot easier. Um, and as far as kind of ESG and sustainable investing, yes, they're much more interested in it, although everybody's getting more interested in it. And it goes back to that sort of goals-based discussion and values-based discussion, which is what's your money for? Yes, obviously, you want to be able to retire on it. But at the same time, do you want that money doing good in the world or maybe not so good in the world? And so because women tend to be more values-based or goals-based, those either impact or sustainable investing conversations tend to resonate much higher. And the stat is that 80% of women who are interested in investing want to do it sustainably. That's interesting, isn't it? And, and then another stat you said earlier on, which I thought was an amazing stat, was that, and it, I suppose it, it maybe uh, leads on to a point about the role of the peer group in how women feel about you know wealth managers or they, how they access wealth management, I suppose. You know, a typical female client might refer 26 of her friends, family, contacts. I thought that was an amazing number. I mean, huge. Yeah. And and when you talk about education too, they'll tend to get it through their peer groups. So a lot of the studies that have been done about how do you increase, say, women's engagement with pensions or understanding of pensions, if you can do it with social media um, and get a group of women talking about it and you normalize talking about it. So I'm American, obviously. It's a very normal talking point in America to talk about money and 401ks and retirement, whereas still in the UK, it's still a little bit of a, a faux pas in a lot of circumstances. So, so there's two places that peer groups really help. So once women meet an advisor, and I don't think it really matters if it's a man or woman, although as I agree with what Jess says about how the firm overall looks and feels. But I know lots of male advisors that have built a huge book of business off just doing a really good job with one woman, spending the time with her so that she understands everything and that there's trust there. And then all her friends come knocking. Um, so it's actually a really good way to build a business for, for younger advisors. And, and, you know, that's interesting. You, you mentioned the topic about, you know, I don't want to quote you incorrectly here, whether, you know, it's a, a female advisor, or a male advisor. Obviously, there are some quite well-known uh, firms whose name we cannot mention, uh, obviously out there who um, you know are sort of women advisors for women. What what importance do you place? The question to, to both of you on having a female advisor advise females. I think you need you need the choice. As Kirsten said, it doesn't. I don't think it matters whether the advisor is male or female. But I think um, the clients need to have at least have the option of of the choice. Sometimes women prefer to be advised by another woman who's gone through similar perhaps life experiences or can they can relate to on a more sort of social, friendly type level. But then on the other hand, other women perhaps have very good relationships with male advisors and, and prefer that sort of dynamic. Kirsten, I don't know what you think. Yeah, it's a really personal choice. And and I always hear it, it's akin to picking your obstetrician. You know, it's, it's really personal and, and it's often personal relationships. It's often about trust. It's often about how they educate you. And, you know, back to the analogy to obstetrics, you know, keeping you calm in a time of change is often what you need. You need a really steady hand. So it's, it's like p- picking a coach or picking a doctor. You know, you need to find somebody you gel with. But 
advisors shouldn't overlook the opportunity that this brings up. And it's an opportunity for anybody to embrace, really. So, so Jess, if we look at, you know, when you sit down with, with, with female clients, um, you know, do you find the conversation starts very differently to those male clients? You know, is there, is there a trend there? Is, is there topics that get discussed uh, at the outset, um, which you know, men never touch on or, or vice versa? Good question. I, well, it completely depends because I have such a wide range of different clients from in different backgrounds and different ages. And clearly some I know better than others as well and I've known for a long time. And we have a good friendly sort of relationship. But I do think that there is a sort of, can I use the word solidarity perhaps, between, between my female clients and, and myself, that, you know, we have had some similar life experiences perhaps, and we can speak a little perhaps a little bit more freely on occasion. But that's not to say that I don't have good relationships with, with my male clients as well. So it's, but it can be different, yeah. But I suppose it's relatability. That's the point you're getting to, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, they feel probably feel more related, related to the experiences you've gone through and vice versa. As a man saying that, obviously, I'd be careful as a man saying this because I, 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 I haven't, can't relate. Yeah, and interests. and But it's, it's not just that. If you imagine a, ma- a male advisor and a male client and they sort of chat about football or sport or whatever it is, in a similar way, I well, I wouldn't join into that conversation because I'd have nothing to, to contribute. But my interests might well align with a female client that we have similar interests on occasion it's not obviously always the same but it's sometimes it's helpful and it's it's a nice sort of rounder relationship perhaps and um and in terms of engagement with the industry i suppose Kirsten, this is a good topic for you to talk about you know what's the typical route to the industry for these these female clients you know i'm correct me if i'm wrong i would imagine from what you're saying particularly around the confidence uh, men seem to be more inclined to go directly to a, a firm, a brand, a name, and talk with them. Um, is that the same for, for the female clients, for for women, or, or do they tend to take a different route? I mean, I think, yeah, if you take those three sort of personas we were talking about, so the couples, I think, yeah, they tend to engage together. A lot of times it'll be the, the man that's getting a, a reference. I think if it's divorced women, they tend to have a relationship with a family lawyer and the references come in through a family lawyer because they know who they like in the industry that will take good care of their clients in sort of difficult times. I think there's a huge issue around widows and I see it across my clients and I see it in a lot of the numbers that you look at when you look at their sort of long tail of accounts. There are a lot of older women with accounts that actually the FCA categorizes as vulnerable now because they have a lot of wealth. They maybe don't have the education, especially generationally. And so, you know, they have historical relationships that I think all the firms are now being much more aware of and careful with to really proactively help their older widow clients. Because when you look at all the financial scams and all the data on that, it really is they target 65 plus, they target people that are alone and vulnerable. And then, you know, a lot of that financial risk comes back to the firms if something happens to them. So I think the widow's topic is certainly sort of bubbled to the top. And I think the divorce topic has always been understood in the industry and I think really well serviced. And there's a fantastic sort of network of female lawyers and female bankers that I'm sure refer a lot of work to each other all the time. And then that couples piece is, again, sort of nascent and that training, because if you can work with couples 
male, female, traditionally, you, but you train around all the other instances of couples. It just really helps the firm think about, well, who is your client? Like you're assuming one of your clients, the one that's financially astute is the one that's your client. Well, actually, they're both your clients. So that piece is becoming more important. What I found actually quite interesting over the, the pandemic and having more Zoom meetings with clients is that you can, you, it's a lot easier for the wife, for example, to join the client review meeting and um, it's a lot more sort of socially acceptable perhaps for her to join us by Zoom and to have the meeting in person with, with the husband. And I find that's really helpful because even if you only do this, you have a review meeting, say, once a year with everybody present, it's still a really useful exercise because it makes sure that everyone's viewpoints are to an extent aligned and everyone knows what the conversations, you know, the conversations that we're having are. But also, should something happen to the husband, and again, we're generalizing, but it is often the husband that takes um, care of the, the, the financial matters. The wife, the widow, can often find that she doesn't actually have a relationship with her wealth manager, for example, because she hasn't been involved in the conversations over years and years. And I suppose that links back to, to Kirsten's stat about the number of, of women that change wealth manager or relationship manager after a bereavement or a divorce or something like that. Because the wealth manager hasn't really sort of invested in the relationship with both spouses throughout the lifetime of, of the, the client relationship. Yeah, I heard that from all my clients that the lockdown was really good for that and that they got women on Zoom that they hadn't seen in 10 years. So then the question is, how do you keep that going? And then the other thing we heard around annual reviews is they're usually, you know, an hour or so they can feel a bit rushed because they sort of have to be done. And one of the things women really appreciate around annual reviews is to get sort of pre-communications on annual reviews to know what they're going to be talking about and if and then follow-ups if they have questions because sometimes they feel dumb asking a question about something they don't understand and they feel like they're taking up the time. So to sort of frame an annual review in a really kind of inclusive way so that both parts of the couple have time to talk through all their questions. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a very fascinating point, actually. Um, and it sort of, that ties in with what you were talking, using your example of the, the mechanic, I suppose, you know, when you're saying that, you know, women tend to take more time over decisions and that would, would sort of follow the same, the same pattern, I, I presume. Yeah, and I'll just, I'll just say a quick piece because I know you guys have American clients. Everything we've talked about gets sort of amplified for American clients um, because, I'm American and I'm the American half. I'm the toxic half of the relationship. <laughs> so all those complexities get amplified. All the terminology and sort of alphabet soup of acronyms gets amplified. So I think for your, you know, when we're talking about American couples with half being American, it becomes even more imperative for all the things we've talked about to happen. Education, inclusion, including them in discussions, because they might be left off assets or accounts because of the American issues and and still obviously have an interest, but for structuring reasons, not be on the account. So they there's all sorts of issues it brings up that just sort of amplify everything we've been talking about. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I get told off of raising the, uh, the the US link too many times, Kirsten, so I really appreciate you doing it for me on this behalf. Yeah, I, I, absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Everything gets uh, multiplied when you layer in the US fun and games of your tax system uh, on top of ours. Um, so I'm a bit of conscious about time. So let's end as I try and do. If you could give, and I'll ask this question to each of you, Kirsten, I'm going to put you on the spot first. If you could give one tip to the wealth management industry, 
to better position itself to work with uh, women. And also one tip to female clients out there as to uh, how they would, you know, going about finding a wealth manager that and what to look for. Um, that'd be great. And I'll ask you in a second, Jess, exactly the same thing. So you get the luxury of a minute or so to think about it. So my top tip for wealth managers is education. So at UBS, we tried all sorts of different things. And obviously, I'm a marketer. So we did all sorts of marketing things as well. But what it really boiled down to was education for advisors. And there's some good tools out there now for how you can sort of easily train your advisors in this topic. And because it is a bit of a sensitive topic, and I think within boardrooms, sometimes men feel funny even talking about it. And so you have to sort of demystify it and make it about facts and make it about commercial opportunity and and get your advisors trained. And then they'll just feel more happy and comfortable about it as well. I think for female clients, it's about talking to your friends and your peer group. Demystify the topic. Talk to your friends about it. See who they're using. Make sure your friends understand what their pensions are. Make sure you understand what your pensions are. And then, you know, once you talk to your friends and your contacts, then go about thinking about what might be right for you, either in wealth management or otherwise. But I guess as an American who grew up in a system that we talked about this stuff all the time, that's the part that's a key missing piece in the UK is the sort of at the school run or at the school gates, people kind of openly and freely talking about, well, did I make my pension contribution this year? I feel really proud of myself because I made my full pension contribution this year. But you just don't hear people talk that way. And so I think, you know, for all women, we can help everybody on that topic if we start talking about it. Great. Thanks. Jess, over to you. Yeah, I think that the wealth management industry needs to needs to focus perhaps a little bit more on, on objectives rather than, as Kirsten puts it, as goals-based investing rather than the nitty-gritty of the investment strategy. Re- recognize that female clients might be looking at this as more of a means to an end in terms of this is what they want to achieve with their money rather than them being particularly interested in the art or the science, I'm not sure which, of you know well, a well-diversified investment portfolio. And I think, for, I think for female clients, I think ask more questions. Even if you think it's a daft question, it could be a daft question, but you can tell a lot from how somebody responds to what might be a daft question. So I think ask as many questions as you feel you need to, and then that will give you perhaps a much better understanding of whether the person you're asking the questions of you know, is aligned with you, gets you, and is going to be a good advisor for you for the future. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely excellent point, Jess. And I think uh, that's applicable to all clients, actually, fine enough, but also, but yeah, to, to females based on what we said more specifically. Um, great. Well, look, thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Kirsten, for joining us on, on this episode. I think it's one of those topics where, you know, we could still be sitting here in an hour's time as we go down some rabbit hole of a, a specific area. But hopefully this has given some fascinating stats, Kirsten. I must admit things are, you know, I, I couldn't believe and an insight into where the industry needs to go and and for those female clients listening you know what to perhaps look for uh, or think about or ask to your point jess when it comes to their their wealth managers so thank you both very much thanks great thanks rob thanks Kirsten. subscribe to the series to hear personal stories learnings and discussions around real life cases it's an investment you won't regret